I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning. Yes, indeed. I am joined by Julie Weisenhorn from the U of M, along with Maggie Ryder from the U of M. Maggie is the turf. Well, can we, Julie, can we call Maggie the turf guru? Can we move that Absolutely. crown over to? Okay. Absolutely. All right. If you have, especially this morning, uh, your regular garden questions for Julie. And if you have any turf questions, Maggie is along for the ride here, helping you out with the uh, your lawn questions, and we've got some already for uh, both Julie and Maggie. If, and you know how we tend to get very busy on the Smart Garden Show. So don't wait. Call in or text in your lawn or garden questions. Same number, 651-989-9226. I have been itching to get my tomato plants outside, but I keep looking at that forecast. And I don't. I think it's a little too early, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. So you want to wait until our nights are 50 degrees or warmer before you start moving those warm season crops. These are your tomatoes, your peppers, eggplant, squash, beans. Uh, it's just too hard on them when we have these 30 degree, you know, 38 degree nights, that kind of thing. So just kind of hold off still. It's only May 7th. That's true. Eighth. May, May 8th. May 8th. <laughs> Time yeah, does fly. Know, I want to say that same for grass, too. I mean, you know, I've gotten a lot of concerned calls in the last couple of weeks of my grass is not growing or why does it look bad? And same story. Just our, our night lows are still in the 40s, in the 30s the last couple of days. It'll take until looks like next weekend to get into the low 50s. Um, and then grass is really going to start to take off. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it's looking pretty good. But it we have, again, we already have some. In fact, here's one question, uh, Maggie. Good morning. It says, I'm reseeding part of my lawn. Should I seed it first and then fertilize, or should I fertilize and then seed, and how long should I wait between I do one after I do the other? At this time of the year, you can do both at, at any time. Um, one or the other, you know, it, it, it doesn't really matter. The, the grass seed that you put down is not going to be able to use that fertilizer until it has um, germinated and, and grown for maybe two or three weeks. So if you want to optimize the uptake of that fertilizer by your new grass seed, um, delay it two or three weeks. Um, but it is okay to put them down both uh, at the same time. The fertilizer would be used by your other grass that you have. Okay. Uh, good morning. This one says, this text, last spring we had our two apple trees taken down. We tried growing grass last year to no avail. Uh, we put down grass seed again this spring 
with some grass seed germinated. Is there an issue getting grass to grow where apple trees were? Um, I don't, not that I know of. I mean, Julie, do you have any thoughts on this? The only thing I can think of is that there's a lot of roots. Uh, it depends if you're taking the stump out, which I'm assuming they did. Um, if, but there's a lot of roots that are left down there, and they're still breaking down. So there might be an issue with um, with the roots uh, if, uh, just kind of taking up space, or also uh, as they break down, they may be using up the nitrogen that's in the soil. I don't know. I, I, I it's it's tough after there's been a tree there. Yeah, okay. and I mean a, a soil test. Wouldn't hurt, you know, it'd be helpful to maybe look at the pH or something, but I, I doubt that's an issue, um, but but it's something that's good to check. Julie, yeah, there's how not, do, nothing about There's nothing about apple trees that prevents grass from growing. There's no allelopathy or anything like that where the, the tree is putting out any kind of a compound that's going to delay the grass from growing. It's just a, it's kind of a competition thing. Right. If you're just joining us on our Smart Garden Show, Julie and Maggie from the U of M helping you out this morning. We have callers and uh, we have texters as well. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's do this. Uh, let, let's grab a phone call or two and then we'll grab some more text messages. Uh, Bruce, I think, uh, calling in from Bloomington this morning. Bruce is first. Morning, Bruce. What's your question? Well, good morning. See, I, I'm not uh, not a big gardener, but I've had a problem in my front yard with uh, ants. And uh, as the as the popular TV commercial goes, I've got an ant problem. So um, I, I tried to solve it last fall. I bought one of these granular ant poisons, and I put it down, and it seemed to have solved the problem. I planted some grass, and it grew, and it looked really good. But this spring, it seems like, boy, I can see where it's dug up again, and there's all kinds of ants crawling around. So I put some more of that granular stuff down, and I don't know if it solved the problem. What what would you recommend I do at this point? So ants in lawns are more of like a nuisance problem. So the ants are not affecting the grass or harming the grass really in any way. Um, and I think of ants as a more of a structural or household pest so I'm not an expert on that. <laughs> Julie, if you have anything to add, otherwise I'd say go to our go to our website. We do have resources on this, like controlling ants in houses, um, and it will have it'll be the same sort of um, control measures you might take um, that will reduce the population in your lawn. I think also you might want to look at the kind of soil that that they're building their uh, nests in. They like kind of a sandy soil, something that's easy to move around. They won't. They, they don't typically have nests, I think, in clay, like heavy clay soil. So it may be the case where you need to do some uh, amending of that soil, maybe plan in the fall clay, like heavy clay soil. So it may be the case where you need to do some uh, amending of that soil, maybe plan in the fall to do some uh, core aeration of your lawn, and then add in some compost uh, to kind of build up the, the organic matter that's in the soil. Um, there might be pockets of sand, too, you know, along streets and sidewalks where they've sanded over the winter. That sand builds up, and it might be possible to just do some cleaning up of that area and kind of focus in on those those spaces. So, But I, I, they, they usually like really light, sandy soil, so maybe take a look at the quality of the soil. And with the oh, I'll say too, with the treatments that you put down last year, you probably knocked knocked down the population a bit, but in order to actually control all the ants you need to get to the queen, um, which is a little more tricky. And again, go to our website. 
extension.umn.edu, and there's there's resources on how to control AMPs. Yeah, Megan, I'm glad you brought up the website. And Julie, too, if you uh, uh, need some more questions answered, maybe you want to get a soil test. Does that give some information on how to, how to go about getting a soil test at the U? Yeah, there's actually there's a link to our soil testing lab. It's under our uh, soil and nutrients section of the Yard and Garden page, or you can just type into the search box soil test. And the soil test lab folks have done a great job at really providing some good information online to how to understand why you would do a soil test, how to take a soil test, the forms that you need, uh, and then what the results mean. So it's really a, a really user-friendly web page. Okay, good. Well, I'll tell you what let's do. I know we've got Jerry waiting in the wings there to ask you a question on the phone and more text messages here on our Smart Garden Show. Let's take this break and be back on the other side. 651 651- Nine eight nine nine two two six. We'll get you a phone call or a text message here on News Talk eight three zero WCCO. Stay with us. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show. Around every Saturday in the eight o'clock hour. Welcoming your phone calls and text messages. This morning, Julie Weisenhorn and Maggie Ryder from the U of M helping you out today here on our Smart Garden Show. We have callers and we have texters as well. We promised Jerry, Maple Grove, uh, he'd be first. Jerry, thank you. What is your question, please? I've had uh, asparagus uh, planted uh, two and three years ago. I've never harvested any. Uh, How do I actually harvest it? Ooh, Jerry, that's an awesome crop to have. That's a perennial crop, it, so it will come back every year. And you, as the little spears start to come up now this spring, you want to actually go ahead and, and cut those off with a sharp knife. And okay. that's all you do. All right. Thank you. All right. Very good. So we, we mentioned this uh, last week, but uh, Julie, Maggie, the, but the, the uh, um, arboretum, is having a plant sale, right? The auxiliary there? Yeah, this is the auxiliary plant sale. It's an annual event. I don't I don't know if they had it last year. I don't think because of COVID, but they're having right. it this year. And it's going on today and tomorrow. You need to make a reservation. And so they've spaced people out for shopping. And it it's tremendous. Um, the plants come from local growers. They're uh, a huge variety, everything from trees and shrubs to herbaceous plants and annuals. So, yes, this is a great way to get some new plants for your garden. And you've also informed me that it's National Herb Week, or in the UK, <laughs> yes. it's National Herb Week. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And if you're named Herbs, you're super lucky. But uh, <laughs> but yes, National Herb Week here, uh, it's uh, designated by the International Society of Herbs, and uh, it is uh, a, an opportunity to learn and understand about herbs and growing herbs in your garden, choosing herbs for your pots and containers and Man, it, there's, it's one of the easiest ways to start gardening. It's how I started gardening, actually, on my own. Was My first book was the Rodale's Encyclopedia of, Herb, of Herbs, and it was, it's broken. The binding is broken. The pages are falling out. I've read it so many times. But we have a great article about it on our Yard and Garden News 
that is, uh, you can find that link on our website at extension.umn.edu and go to Yard and Garden. And there's also great other articles from other educators like Maggie and Natalie and Annie and Annalisa and there, and also Marissa. And uh, that's our HORT team. And so um, we've got some good articles in there right now. All right. Excellent. We're going to talk in a bit about, uh, I know you want to address some mulch question, but uh, we have callers, a bunch of them on the line as well as texters. So let's get back to it. I think Betty is calling in from Woodbury uh, this morning. Betty, you're on CCO. Good morning. Good morning. I have a very simple question. I have a hydrangea that's three years old, and it hasn't been doing very well. But I was watching this year for for some sign of growth on the stems, and there hasn't been anything. The sticks look just brown, like they're just dead. But there's a lot of good growth coming from the bottom. But I've heard people say you should never cut way down. I wanted to cut these branches off way down to the ground. Is that a mistake? Should I leave them longer than a few inches, or or what should I do with it? It sounds to me like uh, you have a um, a hydrangea that does require being pruned. It grows back uh, from the base of the plant, and so it blooms on what we call the new wood. That's the wood that is that is produced during this season. So uh, this is a good time to do that. You can cut off those dead stems, and you can cut those right to the ground. They are not going to rebloom. Now it does. Uh, there is a type of uh, hydrangea that will bloom on new and old wood, and that is the um, the uh, hydrangea macrophylla or the big leaf hydrangea. This is the Endless Summer series that you've heard of before. It's been very popular, and there's a number of different plants in that series. So you might want to uh, leave some of those longer stems and just see if they if they actually bud out. If you don't have any buds on them, chances are they're not going to. But you could just leave them just in case to see how they uh, might grow. And but it sounds like you've got healthy growth coming from the base, and that's important. And that is probably where you're going to see your blooms this year. All right, very good. If you're just joining us, Julie and Maggie from the U of M helping you out this morning on your lawn or garden type of question. Uh, here's one that. Uh, Came in a bit ago, and let me see here because it just jumped off off the screen. Uh, technology, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, technology. Where well, they have so many text messages coming in, as you know, Julie, all the time. Um, let's see. It's about a, a leaves on a um, uh, hostas. They said they don't have. Yeah, here it is. Uh, looks like something took big bites out of my hosta leaves. We don't live by deer. What can I do to prevent this? Comes from Deb in Maple Grove. Well, that is that is probably a rabbit. Rabbits do like to feed, especially when our hostas are really small, like right now. They will go in there and nibble on those leaves. So the only thing to do is to put a fence around it. And uh, by fence, I mean a piece of hardware cloth. You can buy it at your local hardware store or home improvement store and uh, or garden center and just put a ring around the hostas. You can also use some uh, repellents. Uh, blood meal works well and adds a little bit of nitrogen to the soil. Uh, you also could put malorganite, which, which is another type of uh, fertilizer, and uh, these are in garden beds. So, um, so you can just put that around that area, but a fence will also work as well. Okay. 
Let's grab a call from Mary, who's calling in from Minneapolis uh, this morning. Mary, you are on CCO. Good morning. Good morning. I have two questions. I've heard that it's good to put crushed eggshells in your uh, potting plant, uh, pots for planting tomatoes. Is that true? And my other question is, I'm going to put down weed killer. Should the grass or weeds be cut before you put down granular or liquid for uh, weed killer? Well, uh, do you want to address the weed killer first? Maybe? Yeah. yeah. Yep. So the weed killer, um, two things. One, if it's if the target weed is crabgrass, I would carefully um, make, look and make sure that crabgrass has not germinated yet. Um, because I just saw in St. Paul this week crabgrass has germinated. Um, so using a, a preventative weed product for crabgrass at this time might not work if crabgrass has germinated in your lawn. Um, but there's other weed control products, you know, for broadleaf weeds. And I would say look at the label and read, you know, carefully through all the pages of the label. It, ha- it usually has detailed language on this. It will say, wait, plus or minus two days from mowing or, you know, don't apply within 30 minutes of rainfall, those, that type of thing. Um, so look at the label and there, there should be guidance there. Um, and like I said, it, it's usually like maybe wait plus or minus two days from mowing. Okay, and I'll address the eggshells. So the eggshells, I'm guessing, come from uh, the cause of the basis of blossom end rot. So blossom end rot is caused by a calcium deficiency in the tomato plant, and kind of logic says, well, eggshells are calcium, so this would work. Um, the, it doesn't mean that the tomato plant doesn't have enough calcium. It means that it can't take up the calcium. Uh, it means uh, basically, and that happens because there's fluctuations in soil moisture. So this is common when you grow tomatoes in containers, for example, where it's limited in the soil moisture. Or if you apply lots of nitrogen to your, to your uh, tomato plant, or if there's been some kind of injury to the roots. So really the best thing to do is to keep your moisture level constant with your plants. That can be tricky if you leave for the summer for the long weekend and it that gets dry, uh, or to avoid the heavy nitrogen applications. It can be tricky if you leave for the summer for the long weekend and it, it gets dry, uh, or to avoid the heavy nitrogen applications. So look at your, your fertilizer you're using. Choose one that, doesn't, that is suited for tomatoes. They do make fertilizers just for tomatoes. And then be careful about injuring the roots as you plant your plant. Um, and usually this happens really when it, it's early on in the season. So that's the other thing is that uh, it, it can sometimes uh, start that way. Uh, the early fruits tend to be affected the most. You can also mulch the top of the soil in the container, and that will help to hold in moisture between watering as well. Very good. You know what? We need to take a break and have a look at that forecast. We'll see what our overnight lows are going to be this coming week. So stay tuned. We'll have more Smart Garden moving ahead here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden show. This morning, Julie and Maggie helping you out both by text and by phone calls, and we have tons of both as usual. But, John, I know, Julie, you wanted to address 
uh, in the email you received uh, about what volcano mulch. What is that? Yeah. So one of our listeners, Carol uh, or Carla, sorry, Carla, uh, wrote to me and said, "Could you please remind people about volcano mulch?" So what is volcano mulch? It's a I don't know who coined the term, but it's a great description. And and essentially what it is is piling mulch along uh, up along the trunk of plants. So it creates this kind of volcano look to uh, the mulch. And this is particularly around trees. And what happens, what we found, is that, uh, is that people pile the mulch up along the, the bark of the plant, along the trunk of the plant, and it can do a couple things. One is it can hold moisture in there. Sometimes it creates pest issues. But worse than that is it can cause uh, stem-girdling roots. So these are roots that grow up and around the actual trunk of the tree. They're growing into that mulch as that mulch breaks down. And it creates a circling root that can essentially choke off part of that part or all of that trunk of the tree. So what do you do? The best thing to do is visualize your mulch like a donut. In other words, pull the mulch away from the trunk of the tree when you put it down to create kind of a moat that shows the root flare of the tree. So this is the point at which the big major roots start to branch out at the base of the tree into the soil. So you can see that flare at the bottom of the trunk. And then put your mulch in a ring. Think of like a donut or or creating a moat around the tree itself. And that will be a safe way to mulch. It will be uh, great for your tree because that mulch will do a couple things. It will hold in moisture, which we've had a fairly dry spring so far. Uh, And then also it will keep the roots cool in the hot summer. And it will protect them from damage by things like lawnmowers and foot traffic. People don't walk on that mulch like they walk on grass. So it's really beneficial for trees overall. One last thing about mulch rings is they should be at least six feet across in diameter. So that's three feet from the trunk out to the perimeter and all around the whole perimeter of that, of that uh, tree. And what that does is that also protects enough of the roots from all of these uh, kind of uh, mechanical damages and the, and the soil moisture, keeping that nice and cool, protected and moist. So thank you to Carla for writing to me about that. People are planting trees right now. And we want to avoid the volcano mulch. So pull it away from the trunk. Okay, very good. Let's uh, grab a phone call from Joe, who's calling in from Victoria this morning. Joe, you're on CCO. Good morning. Yes, thank you for taking my call. I have two questions. The first is uh, turf-related, and it's uh, a neighbor of mine started using a product called Tenacity. It it basically seems to be selective towards weeds, where it... uh, prevents the weed from uh, making chlorophyll and ultimately killing the weed. I'd like to get your comment and opinion on that. That's the first question. The second question is uh, in regards to uh, Arctic willows. <clears throat> I have a, a plant that is, uh, say, overgrown 10 feet. I've just finished uh, trimming out all the deadwood. I've cut back some of the branches uh, that were interfering with structures and other plants down to about uh, 18 to 24 inches uh, that have had that, that are sprouting new 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 growth. But then I have uh, several of the branches that have green foliage, maybe up at the top or ha- upper half or upper upper quarter that are eight or ten feet tall, 
And I'm wondering if come fall, if uh, or even this summer, uh, what I should do uh, if I get the new growth coming in. Do I just cut the taller undesirables all the way back? And how far back can I cut them? Well, I'll, I can I'll address. Start. Oh, go oh. ahead. <laughs> Thanks, Julie. Well, I'll start about. So, tenacity is a herbicide or a weed killer. The active ingredient in it is called uh, mesotrione. The trade name is called tenacity. Um, so, yeah, it it kills weeds. It provides a little pre and a little post emergent control. Um, and it's you know it's useful for some uh, problematic weeds like crabgrass. It can provide control of crabgrass when it is small after it's germinated. Um, it's really useful because you can apply it at seeding time with a lot of our cool season turf grasses. Um, so that helps, you know, reduce uh, weed pressure at a, at a seeding time or a new establishment. The two things to be cautious of are one, it, it's not safe on bent grass, which we don't really have bent grass in home lawns. It's more of a, a golf course thing. Um, and it's, it's a little bit touchy with fine fescue. So be careful if you have a lot of fine fescue, tenacity can injure um, fine fescue grasses. But it's safe on Kentucky bluegrass, perennial ryegrass, tall fescue, the other grasses that we have in lawns. Um, the way it works is, like you said, it's a it's a carotenoid inhibitor, so it, it causes the, the weeds to turn like white or a bleached color because they, it stops them from producing their chlorophyll. Um, so yeah, that I mean, that's kind of a quick roundup on on mesotrione. So your question about the Arctic willow, beautiful plant, terrific, uh, used in erosion control, uh, very adaptable to poor soils, lots of different soils of various pHs, dry soils, drought, really a good plant. It prefers full sun to part shade, grows best in that, which you probably have found out since it's such a large plant. And uh, you can actually prune back as low as four inches from the ground if it becomes too large. So you can take those really tall branches that are looking a little wanky and you can take them down to basically down to the ground, much in the way that you remove the larger branches from, say, a red, uh, red twig dogwood. Uh, we want those younger branches that are green or in the case of the red twig dogwood that are nice and bright red. And the older branches tend to get a little corky and not terribly attractive. So you could take those major branches down to about four inches from the ground. You can also prune the whole plant back, uh, but it doesn't sound like you need to do that. I think if you just do some selective pruning, try not to take more than about a third of those of the branches out of there at one time. You can make a plan for a couple years, you know, to take out these two branches this year, and maybe next year you're going to take another branch out. But it sounds to me like you've got a great location, and yep, you can just take those branches down to the ground, those really uh, large ones. Very good. Uh, we're getting, uh, in fact, it's, uh, we've seen this before, and I'm not sure we don't want to get uh, you or Maggie uh, inundated <laughs> with emails. <laughs> you get enough during the, the show. But is there a way that listeners can, through the uh, U of M website, maybe get in touch, sending you a message? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can find either one of us, but the easier thing to do is to utilize our Ask Extension tool that is on our website under Ask a Master Gardener. We have probably 35 Master Gardeners who part of what they do as volunteers for Extension is they field your questions, and it's a super easy tool to use. You can type in your email or whatever your question is. You can add some photos. You can attach photos and uh, and go ahead and send that in. And we 
make an attempt, uh, every attempt possible to answer those questions in a couple of days. So we try to get back to people right away because we know they're anxious to do, make some changes or buy a plant or want get, to get something identified too. So the, that's a great tool to use when we're not on the show. All right, give it to us again. It is ext- Ask Extension. It is on extension.umn.edu. Go to Yard and Garden. Scroll down to Ask a Master Gardener, and you will find the tool right there. Outstanding. Good deal. We have callers, we have textures, and uh, we have to take a break. So let's do that now, and we'll be back with more Smart Garden here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Stay with us. Hey, good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here on CCO around every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour, welcoming your text questions and phone calls. This morning for Julie Weisenhorn and Maggie Ryder from the U of M. And I'll tell you, we have so many listeners <laughs> want, want to get some questions answered. Let's That's do this. Good. We We have callers. Uh, let's do like a three-hour show. I don't know. I'd love it. I don't know if you would. Uh Ed in Bloomington has been waiting the longest, I think. Ed, thank you. What is your question for Julie or Maggie? I, I have a large area of my lawn that's been average to good grass for 20 years. And three years ago, I got a few wild violets, and they were pretty. But now they've been so aggressive, they've taken over, and they have really uh, crowded out the grass. So I applied a broadleaf weed killer two times last year, didn't seem to face it. But this year, they're coming back, and a lot of places the grass has been killed, and I've got moss growing in spots big as your hand, uh, growing where there's nothing else. And I wonder what you can do to safely eradicate these wild uh, uh, violets. And I also have a question about my tulips. Something, I have a lot of tulips in my yard and nasturtiums, and Something went through and bit off every one of the tulips just below the bloom. Didn't eat the stems, didn't eat the blooms. They just bit them off right at the bottom of the bloom and left them lay on the ground. Mm-hmm. Well, it's easy to answer the tulip question. Those are rabbits. They're probably rabbits. They like those buds. They just take a chomp right out of them. So chances are that's uh, what is eating the tulips. Yeah. Okay. I can, let me talk about the wild violets. <laughs> Are you, were you done, Julie? Yeah. Except that I'll say this about wild violets is that they're really good for skipper butterflies. So. <laughs> yes. So wild violets are, uh, you know, a broadleaf weed in lawns. Um, they have a purple flower and sometimes they're confused with creep, creeping Charlie. Um, but they're both, both of those weeds are, are pretty ag- aggressive, you know, and can take over. They do provide pollinator resources. So maybe consider, um, like Julie just said, that they could provide some some ecological value. But if you want to get rid of them, um, tr- look for a broadleaf weed killer that has triclopyr in the active ingredients. Um, so triclopyr is the best um, product for controlling um, wild violets and expect it to take a, maybe a few applications, at least two applications. And again, read the label and it will say at what interval that you should apply um, the product. Um, but, yeah, triclopyr for wild violets and triclopyr, too, for um, Creeping Charlie. Okay. When is a good time, Texter wants to know, to transplant bleeding heart plants? 
you would want to transplant those. It's too late now because the plants are getting quite large. Unless you find some seedlings around that you want to move around, that's fine. But they're they're quite big now, and they're quite fragile too. They have hollow stems. Um, they snap off really easily. So you want to you want to transplant those when they first start to come up in the spring. So just put that on your to do list for 2022. Okay. Back to the phones we go. Ken is calling in from Blaine this morning. Ken, uh, you're on with Julie and Maggie. Good morning. Um, I have a question concerning uh, several years ago, I purchased a uh, endless summer hydrangea and I planted it in my flower garden. And of course, it it, it uh, flowered for a couple of years uh, with the with the blue blossoms, and then it stopped uh, flowering. But I've left it there. Uh, for several years, and the foliage is really good. I mean, the foliage is, is um, you know, uh, there a lot of foliage. And now I'm interested in actually digging it up and transplanting it to um, a trail that I have in my, uh, along a trail that I have in my backyard. And um, I was just wondering as far as digging it up in the root system, uh, how difficult is that going to be? Um, I'm not familiar with the root system of the hydrangea. So hydrangeas have a combination of a few major roots and then also a lot of fine roots that are on the surface. So um, the, when you're going to move a shrub like this, uh, it shouldn't be too difficult, but uh, you want to prepare the hole where you're going to plant it, get that all ready to go, and uh, and then go ahead and dig as much of the root system out as you can. So you want to make a really big cut around the entire shrub and go probably, I would go probably try start about a foot out from the plant and uh, from the, you know, the, where the base of the plant is and dig around that and dig deeply and just really take your time doing it. It is not an easy thing to do. Uh, those deep roots will go down uh, a fair amount. Uh, probably about a foot or two, or foot or eighteen inches. So um, depends how healthy the plant has been. And then uh, transplant it. You might need another person to help you carry it, or put it into a large bucket, or put it into a large uh, wrap a tarp around it, or something, just to hold that root ball together as much as you can. And then just get it over into that hole and water it. Be sure to water it. Uh, it's a lot of stress on a plant when you transplant it, especially one that large. So water it well. Uh, as it, If it's dry, mulch the base of it. You can use uh, leaf mulch or you can use wood mulch. And, uh, and then keep an eye on it. You might also want to amend the soil before you put it into the, uh, the new hole because if you're trying to shoot for those blue blossoms, you're going to want to put in um, an aluminum sulfate that is going to help to change those blossoms to a more blue color. We are just about out of time. If uh, if Maggie can do this in a minute, it would be appreciated. Texter wants to know how to properly care for new sod. You always do this to me, Denny. Okay, let me let me try to be quick. <laughs> um, new sod, yeah. So you know, sod you have a little bit more flexibility than seed. I think uh, as far as watering and, and time of the year, um, now is a good time to be establishing sod. What you want to do is just make sure that it does not dry out, right? So it might take watering it twice a day for the first three or four days, you know, depending on rainfall and your light levels and where you're precisely located. Um, but basically just make sure it does not um, dry out. And then, you know, it'll probably be ready to be mowed in, in three to four weeks for the first time. Um, and you also want to be cautious of 
soil layering that can occur with sod. So when you get sod, you're bringing in a layer of soil, um, you know, at, at the base of that, and you're going to lay that on top of your your yard soil. And if that doesn't match, it can cause problems for water movement. Um, so try to either get it to match, you know, where you, wherever you're purchasing sod from, or you can kind of mix it up by aerifying um, or, you know, tining or coring, things like that later in the fall. All right. We have to run. Julie, how about a quick uh, website for folks that want to get uh, some great reading done? Uh, extension.umn.edu and go to Yard and Garden. And remember that if you didn't get your questions answered, you can go to Ask a Master Gardener and uh, enter in your question, add photos, and we will do our best to get your answers to you. Outstanding. Maggie, Julie, thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great week as it uh, as it warms up. Stay tuned next for our Home Improvement Show here on News Talk 830 WCCO. 45 is our current Twin City temperature reading on our way to... This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.